Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Good morning. You can be seated. God bless Texas. Come on. Yeah, that's more like it. Dear Lord. Where's that? I was down there way south in Texas. I won't say what city. I said, God bless Texas two weeks ago, and they just stared at me. I said, evidently, we're in another state. And I said, man, I love Texas. Hey, I'm going to talk kind of fast this morning, but that's normal. And uh, uh, two things as a parent, you realize, uh, well, before you have a parent, you get married. You get married and spend a lot of time sucking lips off each other's face. And you realize, okay, what else are we going to do? Well, let's have some babies. And so I came from a big family. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters, and my father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters. So we came from big families. People would ask us all the time. They'd say, are, are you Catholic? I said, I don't even know what that means. No. Are you Mormon? No, I don't think I know any Mormons. I said, well, what are you? I said, well, I'm a backslidden Baptist. Well, I don't know what, you, what you're looking for. Well, how do you have, have so many kids? Well, we had kids to put them to work. Uh, my, grandmother, my grandmother had her first baby when she was 15, and she just kept dropping them after that. And, uh, and so we had them put them to work. And so life changed, you know, and then all of a sudden people said, uh, they would ask, are all these kids yours? No. No, three of them are. We found these three on the side of the road. They looked hungry. We just thought we'd come and feed them, you know. Yeah, they're all ours. And so well, why'd you have them? So we wanted them. We want to, I want somebody. The Bible says parents lay it for the children, children lay it for the parents. And so I want somebody to take care of me when I get old. I'm not joking. I want, I want somebody to take me to dinner on Sunday and send me on a cruise and buy me a Winnebago. And, uh, and, and I, so I messed with my kids from day one. I told them, you owe us. Good measure, press down, shake together, you owe us, bless God. I, and and I, I told the first service, I told my kids, and you can call and ask them. They're all adults now. I said, don't you ever buy anything for me that fits in a box. I go to Walmart by myself. You buy something for you, either drive it up the driveway, it better be a cruise going somewhere. And I've been on two cruises, I'm still looking for that first Winnebago. And so, and I do family vacation every year at Christmas, I pay for that. My wife said, Joe, you owe us once a year family vacation, so we do a 10-day deal, and so I either rent your car or fly in, I buy all the food and all the stuff and uh, bring them in and uh, kind of keep everybody close. And so uh, when I do that every year, I, I said, now, I own you for these 10 days because I paid for everything. Uh, who's in charge? The guy who wrote the check. And so, uh, and so I, I give them a test every year. You know, it's about a four hour test and try to help them find out what they're good at and what their gifts are because uh, the whole goal of having kids was to get them out of the house. Because um, once you have them, everybody shows up and you have a baby. Everybody wants to come, take pictures, stick their nasty fingers in the mouth buy a lot of cheap gifts that don't fit three months later. And then everybody leaves. And you don't see them again until your kid graduates from high school. Where you been the last 18 years? Well, we've been busy. And so I realized I want to get my kids out of the house. They're a gift from, the Bible says children are a gift from God. They were given to me by God. And then my job is to train them up and give them back. They don't belong to me. They belong to God. They all belong to God. They're just on loan. And I'm going to give you back. So we got all our kids up, and uh, every one of my kids got them through college, uh, paid for the wedding, paid for the honeymoon, bought their first car, 
you know. Uh, but I told everyone when they got married, you leave your key here with me. And it was a joke because I paid for all the weddings. I said, no, appreciate you. You have a good time. I'm gonna, I paid for your honeymoon and everything. I said, but I need your house key. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm very serious. You put your key in my hand. Don't you ever come to my house unless I invite you. Now, the young ones got it. The first two were kind of tough, but the young ones, they understood. Don't you ever come to my house unless I invite you. Don't you ever show up to my house uninvited. I mean, you call her. I won't let you in. And if you ever come to my house, you, you call and you bring food. I'm very serious. You're not eating my food. You're going to bring your food and leave some of it behind. And when you leave, don't ever leave your children here. So none of my grandkids have ever spent the night at my house, ever, nor will they ever. I was a great parent. I birthed you, burped you, raised you, wiped you, taught you how to stand up and walk and pass out and get through school and pay for your wedding. Bye. I love you, but bye. The whole idea was to grow you up so you would leave home. A man shall leave his father and mother. It's in Genesis, it starts off. You shall leave, leave your father and mother. You're laughing, I'm very serious. I told my kids one time, I, I threatened, I said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna sell the house. And I'm gonna buy a big Winnebago. And mom and I are gonna send you a postcard from where we've been, not where we are. Now, we're a blessing. We help our kids that need help or whatever, but the whole idea is to produce an adult. And so most people are trying to get their kids out of the house early. Well, if you make them leave too early, they'll go out and they meet friends and they'll move back in with three people you don't know. And so people laugh all the time. So, and so we've done marriage and parenting for over 30 years. So the goal is to produce an adult. An adult's the one that writes their own check buys their own food, buys their own car, buys their own light bill with gas, and they pay for themselves. An adult pays for themselves. Now it gets real quiet when you say that even in Texas. (laughs) But that's the goal is to produce an adult. Adult, you're an adult now. What's that mean? You pay for everything. Because the Bible says parents live for the children, children live for the parents. And I told my kids, you owe me. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. You owe me. I said, don't you ever buy anything for me that fits in a box. I go to Walmart by myself. And so to this day, this last Christmas, uh, I told my kids, don't you ever buy something. If you get me something, it better be a cruise going somewhere or you better drive a Winnebago up my driveway. And I've been on two cruises paid for. And my kids every good. Hey, Dad, we're working on it. God bless you, sugar. Looking forward to it next year, maybe. Huh, come on. So I realized something about being a parent. Two things became critical. Number one was money. Money. You think, isn't that thing cute? No, that is a money suck hole. <laughs> that thing's gonna suck every dime out of your pocket, every dollar bill, and they're gonna find money you didn't know you had. And they're gonna find it under the seat. They're gonna flush down the toilet. They're gonna spend money. And because things got expensive. When I, my dad, when I graduated from high school, my dad made $10,000 a year and that's a lot of money. Today, if you're making $10,000 a year, you are so far below the poverty level, they feel sorry for you. It's like, it changed. 
Uh, when I got out of high school, gasoline was 20, 25 cents a gallon at the KO gas station. It jumped one week to 27 cents a gallon. My dad wouldn't buy gasoline for a whole week. He said, it's going to kill America, 27 cents a gallon gasoline. I said, little did he know we should have bought every gallon we could and stored it somewhere. Things change, but God never changes. God's the same yesterday and today and forever. He said, there'll be plenty of children and plenty to feed them. That's what God said. I've had people challenged about having so many kids. I had a student one time, good student, Christian student, Christian school. This gets wrong, you have all these kids. So why? Well, because we're running out of everything. I said, well, I want you to do a paper on it. And it was called a class, it's called Biblical Worldview. Took a daily newspaper every day, find a subject, uh, read a newspaper for 45 days and make a one page, 250 word less report. Stand up from the student body and you get three minutes to share what you have found out. What is the world saying about your subject? And then I want these 25 scriptures about what God's saying about your subject. Now I promise you, whatever the world's saying about your subject, God has been saying right the opposite for several thousand years. God and the world are not on the same page. They don't think the same. They don't, they don't do things the same. So this kid got up. I don't know what his paper's going to be. He just, I, nice, friendly. He just thought I had too many kids. We'll run out of everything, Mr. Gee. Run out of ozone, gasoline, food. So he stood up, and I didn't know what he was going to say. He got up and said, well, uh, my paper's on overpopulation. You know, and there's an article in our local paper about every two months about how the world's overpopulated. We're running out of room. And so what he did in his report, and I researched, and it was true. At that time, there were 6.8 billion people on this planet. And he had discovered that all 6.8 billion people will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. Now, if you've ever been to Jacksonville, Florida, it's a very big city, one of the largest cities geographically in America. It takes you an hour to get through that place. It is huge. But if you give every human three square feet, every human on this planet will fit inside the Jacksonville, Florida city limits. Everybody in Texas, everybody in California, everybody in New York, everybody in China, everybody in India, everybody in Russia, everybody would be in Jacksonville. Now there's close, but they'd be in Jacksonville. It wouldn't be, you'd have Texas all to yourself. <laughs> the Bible says there's gonna be a thousand year reign of Jesus on this existing planet. He's not come back yet. I think he's coming back pretty soon, but he's not back yet. Once he gets back, there'll be a thousand year reign of Jesus on this existing planet. For a thousand years, nobody will die. And people still be dropping babies. If you think the population is big now, whoa. And it says there'll be, there'll be plenty of food. There'll be plenty of everything. God knew when he made this planet what it would do. It will produce. We're abusing it. We're killing off animals. We're killing off stuff, but... There's still plenty here, people. There's plenty. And the only people that don't believe that are people that don't read the book. See, we came with a book. Volume two's not coming out. God's sticking with volume one. It's a really good book. And so when I went through and I was trying to help the kids learn, I said, listen, guys, you better know what the Bible says about whatever you're about to do. Now I want all my kids going to business. All my high school kids, I want you going to be very successful in business. I want you to be able to hire people and not get hired. I want you to write a paycheck and not get a paycheck. I want you to be able to leave everything better than you find it. But you got to think bigger than what you're thinking now. Most people come out of that poverty mentality. Well, we have nothing. We ain't never going to have nothing. We never did have nothing. We ain't got nothing. We're never going to get nothing. And so they'll sing that sad song, you know, and, and a lot of country stations will play that stuff. So I thought, I got to change their thinking. I don't want my kids doing that. I want you to grow up and be filthy, stinking rich and send me on good cruises. <laughs> I went on two good ones. Anyhow. So, two things became important. Number one was money. You better know what it does and how to handle it. 
God's God of stewardship. If you don't take care of it, you're going to lose what you've got. Uh, number two is you need to know about faith. So I made a plaque on the wall, faith and money. And it says, you know, and, and faith, I had a prince that said God. I said, one I serve, the other serves me. Uh, you need cash to live on this planet. But you need faith to live on this planet. Faith is God's economy. Cash is this world's economy. You need both. You can't have one without the other. You need faith and you need cash. What's faith? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The only place you can get faith is out of this book. Uh, The Bible talked about people that had great faith. Some people had no faith. Some had little faith. Some had weak faith. Faith is a muscle. The more you use it, the bigger it gets. The less you use it, the smaller it gets. And so you don't want to go around with little faith. It's like, no, I, I, I need this. Because in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they got fired from their job, evicted from the house, and their kids started killing each other. Satan became the legal God of this planet, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. People all thought, now listen, I'm the only preacher in my family. 24 aunts and uncles and people, and I do all the funerals and weddings for free because I'm family and I don't charge. So whether you're a Baptist or, or Pentecostal or a heathen, I'll marry you and I'll bury you for free. Well, the strangest thing to do is a funeral because I get the weirdest thing said at funeral from Christian relatives. Now, I remember I did one up in uh, Copper Hill, Tennessee one time and everybody's filing by, look at the dead body, we're gonna have a graveside service and an uncle came by and he shook my hand. Said, well, well, Joe, appreciate you doing this. And so he looks down at this guy in the casket which died early and he said, he's trying to whisper, everybody's being holy in church. Well, I guess God needed him in heaven. I said, what? Yeah, I guess God needed him in heaven. No, God didn't need him in heaven. He wasn't any good to anybody down here. <laughs> the only thing worse than a preacher is a lying preacher. <laughs> so you got to tell the truth. And so, and I realized in my own family, it's like, well, why did God let that happen? God's not in charge. Uh, God is not in charge. He gave this planet to Adam. Adam gave the devil. Satan is the legal God of this planet. That's why prisons are full, orchards are full, hospitals are full. Hell is whipping everything that it can whip. Well, that means I might want to have some faith because without faith, I don't please God. I can't resist the devil. So faith is my weapon. So I might want to get a boatload of it. I not only need a really good bank account, I need a lot of faith. So I need to protect both of them. The sources of both my money and my faith are real important to me. Because there's just a couple things that last forever, and faith is one of them. So what I need to do is, what I do? Well, I might want to read my book every day. And that was, you can't wait till you feel like reading the Bible. Well, I don't feel like reading it. Well, that's the best time to read it. Just cuss the blue string. That'd be a good time to read a proverb. I just cussed my wife out. That'd be a real good time to read a proverb. Read two of them. Uh, you can be on the couch for a long time. You can get some proverbs in you. And you got to change your thinking. So I came up with this plan for my kids, and this is real simple, it's real short. So I'll give you these scriptures. I'll give you three of them. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.12. New Living Translation. All these are New Living Translations. Now I have to say every time I come to Texas, I have not left the King James Bible. I still read the King James Bible. I still study. But I, I, I read mostly out of the New Living Translation. It's modern English. I don't do the these and thous very good. And so it's still biblical. So New Living Translation said this. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Well, I've been in fights before, and the only fight that's good is the one you win. I was never in a fight that I lost that, man, that was good, I got whipped bad, boy, that was something. No, the good fight's the one you win. So God said, God said, God said, fight 
the good fight of faith, which means he expects us to win. So how do, I might want to give that some deep thought. So I give this to you. This is Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three, verse two through six. I'm just going to pull something out of three different verses. This is Jesus. Now, Jesus was the son of God, you know, and I have to do this. This is a three-minute introduction because I cross a lot of denominations. And uh, see, God had a problem. Adam sinned. He got fired, evicted, and his kids started killing each other. Hell landed on the first family. Now, God knew it was going to happen. You can imagine him sitting in heaven and looking at his son. Well, there he went. I knew he was going to go stupid on me. Shot his foot off. Shot his foot off. And I can imagine God talking to his son and the son, I got to send you down there to fix it. You're the only one I got. But you can't go like you because a human lost it. A human's got to get it back. That's in the New Testament. First, I got to shove in that mother's womb. Now I'm going to say she's going to shove you out and it's going to get kind of skanky for a while. And you're going to be born in some skanky barn with some you know, cow poop laying everywhere and flies flying around. And a bunch of wacky shepherds will come up. And then some rich guys will come visit and leave you some cash. And you have to run off to Egypt because Herod's going to try to kill you and then you have to come back and you're going to grow up. And you're going to spend 30 years just figuring out who you are. But one day you're going to go outside your wood shop that he owned. He owned the local Home, home Depot, Jesus did. <laughs> yeah, it was a carpenter shop. All his family worked for him. And you're going to go out here in the country. You're going to meet this camel hair bug eating Baptist. And he's going to dunk you under the water and you're going to come out of the water. I'm going to stick my hand out of heaven and say, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And God did that so his son can hear because Jesus had, he's heard all the stories. Son, you're special. You are special. Well, every kid's special. No, you're really special. You know? And Jesus' brothers that worked for him and his sisters, they didn't like him. None of Jesus' family followed him until he came out of the grave. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They thought he was a nut. We don't know who your daddy is. We know who our daddy is. We don't know who your daddy is. People used to ask me, said, you teach on blended family? I said, no. Why? I don't see any reason to. You know, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah, today in America, there are more blended families than core families. Why don't you teach on blended family? There's no reason to. Why? Every family in the Bible was blended. Abraham's family was blended. You know why we have high oil prices? Because <laughs> God promised to bless Abraham's seed. Uh, with Sarah, not Hagar. So finally, you know, God said, man, I got a problem. These women fighting all the time. Well, you got to kick that one woman out. That wasn't part of the plan. So he kicks his wife and her kid out. That's his kid. So he kicks the lady out. She goes out in the desert and they fall down in the desert and they think they're going to die and God showed up. No, you're going to be fine, lady. I'm going to give you water and I'm going to bless you. I promise I'd bless Abraham's seed. So if you trace the history of the seed of Hagar, they're over in Arabia. They own all the oil. It's in the Bible. God can't lie. He didn't. That's another sermon. The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they're all in blended families. There was no core family. So people said, listen, there's not a blended Bible. There's not a single Bible. There's not a divorce Bible. There's just one book. It works for everybody. God's real stinking good. Hey, God, who'd you write this for? Ignorant, stupid people. I'm one of them. Praise God. God loves ignorant, stupid people. Jesus died for ignorant, stupid people. He didn't die for good people. There were none. It's a really good club to be in, man. It's just awesome. 
So anyhow, Jesus goes out and comes out of that water. He goes off the wilderness, and uh, all of a sudden, the devil's been looking for Jesus since the Garden of Eden. God told the devil in the Garden of Eden, one day I'm coming in the flesh, I'll take this back from you. So the second Adam's come, so he couldn't find him. He's just in a lot of Bible history. For years, the devil's looking for God. He thought Moses was God. He heard the deliverer had been born. He demon-possessed Pharaoh, and they killed baby boys two years of age and under all up down the Nile River. What are they trying to do, get rid of the Jews? No, the devil's looking for God. All of a sudden, a bunch of wise men following some crazy star across the desert show up to Herod's place. We're looking for the son of God. He's been born. Herod said, well, go find him. Then I might come worship him. And so they got over there and they found Jesus and all of a sudden God appeared to us. No, you need to leave another way. That Bible, he's going to try to kill him. So the angel warned Joseph, get your family up, get Jesus up, Mary, and get down to Egypt and hide until Herod drops dead because he's going to try to kill the kid. Hell's always tried to kill Jesus. Hell couldn't find him until he came out of that water. The devil didn't know where he was. He was hidden. It was a mystery, 1 Corinthians 9. He couldn't find Jesus. All of a sudden, God said, come on, big boy. I'm here. Bring it on. And the devil hits him three times. Jesus resists the devil three times with this. It is written. It is written. It is written. He didn't call angels. He didn't shoot lightning bolts out of his mouth. He, he whipped the devil with God's word. It is written, God said. It is written, God said. It is written. The only weapon you not possess is God's word in our heart coming out of our mouth. The word of God scares hell. So the devil started early. You know, we used to in, in public school. When I went to school, we pledged allegiance to the American flag, the Christian flag, and the Holy Bible every morning in public school. We prayed every morning in public school until I went to the fifth grade. And somebody made a law. That might be dangerous. We might be messing with children. We should not be teaching the word of God in public school. We need to separate that. And so they pulled God out of school. And, and God left. You know, and it landed. And so it got nasty. What happened? Well, we took God out of where he should have been. We should have been teaching those weaned from the mothers, line upon line, precept on precept, here a little, there a little. We should have been teaching the word of God since they left their mother's womb. We were supposed to teach early. When I went to church, they wouldn't let us get saved until we were 12. They didn't think we understood. I got saved at 12. Me and Mike Blake got saved third weekend in October. Getting saved on Sunday. Me too. Getting saved. Because you couldn't take communion until you got saved. And so the last Sunday of our month, they passed the communion thing. And we wanted to take communion bad. We wanted it so bad because we grew up watching Western movies. Roy Rogers, John Wayne, you know, Gene Autry. And we wanted a shot glass. <laughs> and the only people that had a shot glass was church. <laughs> and they had real shot glass. Not those sissy plastic ones. It was a real shot glass. You know, real glasses. So... Me and Mike getting saved, son, and get me a shot glass. Me too. Now, I do believe God moved, and we were both crying because we don't want to go to hell. Why you get saved? I don't want to go to hell. You love Jesus? I don't give a hoot about Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. If I need him to keep going to hell, I'll take it. But mostly, I want the shot glass. Because when you went down to get saved, they served you communion right there. And they brought out a chunk of bread. And of course, your family comes down with you. And Pastor Aiken was my pastime, and I'm 12. And me and old Mike are there, and our families are always all over praying, raising their hand, crying, and thanking Jesus. And we're looking at each other. And so I held up my chair. Hey, he. And so the first thing I did when I got saved is I stole a shot glass. I still have it in my cabinet in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't give it back. I wanted that shot glass bad. You know, I got it. I didn't realize there's a whole lot more to it than just a shot glass. 
what happens was we should have been teaching about Jesus from way back when. So I have older kids. They've been in church since they were born, all spirit-filled, go to a great church. All of them pay their tithes, go on mission trips. But I got to thinking, before they started leaving home, I thought, you know, you need to make sure you got some faith in you. Because faith is real important. So I gave this story. This is Mark chapter four, Mark chapter three, verse two through six. Verse two, it says, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Jesus went out in the wilderness. He whipped the devil three times. He comes back to town, serves communion. Uh, he reads a scroll and they thought, he said he was the son of God. They tried to stone him to death. So hell showed up early. Jesus, everybody loved Jesus. Everybody loved Joseph. Everybody loved Mary. All of a sudden they hate his guts. What did he do so wrong? He realized who he was. So it says, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Jesus, who never sinned one time, ever had enemies. Jesus had, which means we probably have enemies. And I, mean, I deal with people, all, I don't understand why they don't like me. Who cares? Who cares? The Bible said the disciples in two by two, walk into a house, speak peace to it. If it slaps you back in the face, don't argue. Just go out, shake the dust off, go to the next house. You can't feed people that aren't hungry. You don't give water to people that aren't thirsty. God sets up the people when they want you. So you just go to people that will receive what you've got. Quit trying to shove that down somebody's throat when they don't want it. When I got out of Bible school, three years of Bible school, for about three and a half, four years, we'd go every Christmas to the family and be at the family Christmas thing, and nobody liked us. You got where nobody would eat with us, they wouldn't talk to us, because we're preaching to everybody, trying to get our whole family saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and Shonda Hickimo. We're getting them. Come on, man, we got the thing. We were running them off. So it took a few years, and the next time we're talking with us, I said, I think we're doing this wrong. We're, we're, like, we're like missionaries in a foreign field. We're like apostles. Apostles go to a group of people who don't know they need them. So we had to go and say, We're not preaching to anybody this week. We're not going to preach to anybody about Christmas time. We're going to go in early. We're going to take food. We're going to wash dishes, back in the floor, stack everything back up, mow the grass that needs it. We're going to serve them. Now, it took about three years. People just stare at us. Man, you're just weird. You're weird. About the fourth Christmas, somebody said, can I ask you something? I said, well, why are you different? I'm sorry, what? Why are you different? I don't know. I was different. I'm family. No, you're not normal. <laughs> what do you mean? We're well, always helping out. Well, you're supposed to help family. And they would start to ask you about the hope of the system. What is it? What is it? You, you, what's this Christian thing you do? Well, I've been saved. What does that mean? Well, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I learned to give short answers. When somebody asks you about your, your salvation or your whatever you give, just keep it real short. They don't need a two-hour sermon. And so the shorter it is, the more they'll ask you. So do you know Jesus? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you born again? Yeah. You go to church every Sunday? Mm-hmm. What does that do to you? I'm growing. Does that help in your life? A lot. <laughs> and eventually it asks you something. So, well, that's <clears throat> in the Bible. I'm like, what page? I don't know what kind of Bible do you have? <clears throat> and the more you just, the more you, Jesus never answered a question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus never answered a question except with a question. What do you think about this? I don't know. What do you think? What should I do about this? What do you think? Every time it's downright entertaining to read, he always answered a question with a question. He's trying to get humans to think. Think about this. And so I realized the witnessing got really, really successful. And so we got a boatload of our relatives saved that I never thought would get saved. And I had one uncle got saved. I didn't want him to get saved. I want him to go to hell. (laughs) 
You're laughing. I'm not trying to be funny. I hated. He'd he'd abused my aunt, abused his kids. Very successful in business, made a lot of money, but he was just hot tempered. And I I, I hope he burned in hell forever. I'm in Houston, Texas, doing a big meeting seminar. I look up, and the last night of summer, Tuesday, I look up. It's Monken. I knew he lived there. He flew in and out of there. Big, big airplane business he had. I thought, oh, it's my uncle. Help me, Jesus. And actually, he was lit up like a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Red. He's drunker than a dog. Oh, dear God, he's here and he's drunk. Oh, Father in heaven. And I got a prayer line. So I'm praying for people and he's getting closer. Pastors are helping me pray. I thought, oh, shoot me, Jesus, come on. And so he, he's next night. He said, hey, Joe Allen, because all Southern boys have two first names, Billy Bob, Jimmy Ray, Joe Allen. I say, I say hey, uncle. He said, and he's smiling. He said, I need to get saved. And I thought, no, you need to burn in hell for a thousand years. You need to. But the pastor's with me and I can't. He said, he's smiling, he's drunk, and he's smiling. Would you pray with him? Sure, uncle. I don't want to, but I will. God bless you. So I prayed some sissified prayer. Now, I don't want to get saved. I'm just being honest before God. I, I, oh, man, I never hated anybody except that one uncle. Well, evidently, he got saved. Turned into a really good husband, a good father. Uh, started going to church, became a deacon. <laughs> my aunt developed cancer, and so she lived a long time, lived three years, and he kept her at home and nursed her and fed her and wiped her and bathed her, and he loved that woman. And uh, two weeks before she passed away, we were up there visiting, and she was just crying said, I'm so glad I married him. Nobody's ever loved me more than he has. I knew he'd been meaner than hell itself, but he got saved. He got saved. God's in the saving business. He really likes it. He sort of gets tickled when he does it. So it said Jesus' enemies. Next verse said Jesus' critics. And then the next verse there had people plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus had enemies. He had critics and people plotting to kill him. What do you do? He never sinned one time. Well, you... You and I are no different. We probably have enemies. We probably have critics. People don't like us. What'd you do? Nothing. I'm just living my life. Don't get caught up on the side road trying to make somebody love you that don't want to love you. Love somebody that will let you love them. Help somebody that will let you help them. And just give them to God. Well, God bless you. Well, I'll take you out. Blah, 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 blah. Well, God bless you. Man, that was some. I never heard those words used like that. God bless you. So I, I thought of all the people... The Apostle Paul, you know, kind of like Jesus, he wrote two-thirds New Testament. You know, God knocks him off a horse, blinded for three days. And all of a sudden, he visited him, he gave him his eyesight back. And so Paul spent several years in the cave, and he came back, and he became the great apostle. Now, what did he do before this apostle? Well, he was a hitman. He murdered Christians, men, women, and children. He had them stoned to death professionally. He had them stoned to death. He had Stephen stoned to death. Who are you? I'm a professional killer, religiously. We hate Christians, and we're going to kill every one of them. That's what he was doing until God knocked him off his sword. God said, I like that guy. That guy's got potential. <laughs> I like aggressive people. He's got potential. I'll knock him off his horse and blind him for a few days and I'll get his attention. <laughs> so anyway, he's riding the church at Ephesus. Now he's been to the Corinthian church and, and you know, the Corinthian church is kind of messed up and you know, he went up there and he helped them as good as he could and so... First Corinthians, now he's down at the church at Ephesus, he helping them, and so the church of Corinth wrote him, Paul, you gotta come back. You gotta help us, we're messed up. I know you were here, but you gotta come back, we got problems. So Paul's corresponds with what the problem? Well, 
Everybody's getting drunk at communion. No, they didn't have communion cups. They had mugs. And it wasn't Welch's. It's just the real stuff. No, really, you can read it in your own Bible. They, when, every time we had communion, it's like, what kind of search? I don't know. They're all out on the floor, man. The Holy Ghost said everybody. <laughs> they're all getting drunk at communion. And, and then he said, and then Paul, we got nothing. We got some guy shacked up with his mother-in-law. This is downright perverted. And so, so they're telling Paul, and Paul, and it's, you can read it for yourself. And Paul said, well, we need to pray for him. Well, yes, we do. So we all, they all held hands. This is Paul leading to prayer. And the heavenly father, we lift this man up to you and we turn his flesh over to the devil that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. In Jesus' name, amen. And I said, what did we just pray? <laughs> well, we turned him over to the devil because we love him. <laughs> we hope he gets saved. So we've cut hell loose on him. <laughs> Hell's coming. <laughs> and it did because he got saved. He stopped shacking up with his mother-in-law. It turned out, Second Corinthians, it's real entertaining. It's a great story. Anyhow, this is my sermon. I have a whopping four minutes to do this. It's real short. This is Paul writing church at Ephesus. What they've been doing, he's, he got upset. He, he, Ephesians 6, he's writing them. He said, well, guys, you know, I'm trying to be nice. And come, we're just going through hell. Well, I don't relate. I'm Apostle Paul, and I don't understand hell. I'm not Shonda Hikimo. I'm, I've got it happening. And so he got mad. So it took about five verses. And the, the longer he wrote, and you just read Ephesians 6, you realize he's getting more intense with his words, especially in New Living Translation. It's like, I think he's getting what we call chapped in the South. He's getting chapped. And all of a sudden, he unleashed on him. It's the only place in the New Testament where Paul got mad. And he wrote a whole almost chapter. He was chapped. Well, I personally can't. Well, well yeah, maybe I can. Well, hey, maybe I'll share. Uh, I've had a few challenges myself. Uh, you've been sharing about all the stuff you're going through. I'll share. Let me share something. And so here it is verbatim, New Living Translation. I'm going to jump in here, uh, verse 11, 1 Corinthians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. He said, now I'm going to read the words I want to focus on. He said, put on all of God's armor. He said, you need to do something and quit thumb sucking. Put on God's armor. Next he said, stand against. Put on, stand against all the strategies of the devil. Put on some, stand against some. Verse 12, for we are fighting. What are we doing in church? Fighting. We're fighting. What do we come to church for? To fight. We learn how to fight in church. I learned how to resist it. I learned how to fight. Pray God we're singing loud because we want to fight. <laughs> well, it's in here. We are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen realm, not against our cousins or our neighbor or the boss or the next door neighbor. We're fighting against spiritual stuff. Oh, Lord have mercy. Against mighty powers in the unseen world. Against evil rulers in the heavenly places. Put on all of God's armor. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth. Uh, put on patience. Hold up the shield of faith. All this is stuff we're supposed to do. He gives it. Put on salvation. Take the sword of the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Stand alert. God said, Paul's trying to tell people, shut your sissy face up, get up and do something. Now I'm the family preacher and I, I, I'm very gracious, very loving and patient. But boy, I tell you, there comes a time you kind of run out of grace. What is happening? Well, because you have absolutely no faith whatsoever. You're getting drunk every weekend. You know, you're fornicating with people. I'm sorry, what part of that do you think God was going to love? God loves you, but he hates that sin. Sin's trying to take you out. You might want to open your Bible. Well, I don't understand it. Well, you never understand if you don't open it. You got to open it first. Go open it up and read something. Well, I read it and I don't understand it. Read it again. Only charismatics are the only people that, that do something one time. I, and I only, look, we do about 60 seminars a year. 
I'm in my 25th, 26th year. I've heard so many times, never from a Baptist, only from the spirit-filled people. Well, I thought you were going to build a building. Well, we tried, but it wasn't God. <laughs> well, would that mean they tried and they failed? They didn't get enough money. It didn't work. Well, we tried. It wasn't God's will because it didn't work. You'll never hear a Baptist say that. Baptists build big old buildings all over the country with lots of brick. Because if a Baptist hits something, it won't fall down. He'll back up further and hit it again. If it won't fall, he'll get friends back up and he'll hit it again. If it won't fall, he'll dig under it, he'll crawl over it, he'll crawl around it, but he's not going to have it say no. Only spirit filled, well, it must not have been God's will or it would have worked. Well, maybe you ought to hit it again or pray a second time or stand your ground or do something. Get up and do something. Well, it must not have been God's will. Yeah, it was. You just wimped out. So, uh, Paul wrote this last thing, and I'm over already, but just give me two minutes. This, this, is, this is Paul. I like this. 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote this when he finally got mad. He's listening. This starting in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11. Paul said, I'm more of a servant in Christ than any of you. I work much harder than any of you. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been whipped more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death. Oh, that was a good one. I spent a day and night adrift in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I've worked hard. I've toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've gone without food. I've gone without water. I've been cold and naked. And I'm still praying for the churches. He wasn't crying when he wrote it. He was chapped. That's why there's not a third Corinthians. They didn't write him back. <laughs> We're sorry, Paul. We didn't, we didn't mean to bring it up. God bless you. You go with God. Shine down. <laughs> so the guy that wrote two-thirds New Testament and prayed in tongues more than anybody also whipped more hell. God's looking for recruits. The reason he got David, why don't you pick David? He's the runt of a family. An old snot-nosed, kinky-headed kid. Well, I know him. He'll do whatever I ask him. He'll whip that lion. He'll whip that bear. He'll whip that giant. He'll whip everything he gets in front of him. Don't mess with him. He's a man after my own heart. And what he's looking for is somebody that'll stand up. He's not looking for big people. He's looking for people to be big in and through. He's not looking for strong people. He wants to be strong in somebody. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for somebody he can be perfect in and through. We're all candidates, man. This is a great, great thing to be a part of. What are you going to do? Well, I belong to God. I can run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy and help in time of need. When do you need mercy? You need mercy when you premeditated sin on purpose. That's when you need mercy. Blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, born without eyeballs. He heard Jesus was coming. Hey, what's that noise? Hey, that healing Jewish guy's coming. So all of a sudden he starts screaming and he needs eyeballs. He starts screaming, mercy. Hey, mercy, son of David, have mercy. He has hey, eyeballs over here. And he said eyeballs. Hey, he's got some eyeballs. Jesus not only stopped when he hired mercy because he's God. Mercy stops God in his tracks. Not your perfection, just mercy. It stopped Jesus in his tracks. He went over to him and Jesus, he's really weird. He said, hey, what can I do for you, blind man? <laughs> and Peter said, well, Lord, I don't know if you know, he didn't have any eyeballs. <laughs> Shut up, Peter. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the blind man. <laughs> hey, blind man, what can I do for you? Lord, that I might receive my sight. And he got his eyeballs back. 
Now, later that day, they drug him into front of the, the centurions came and arrest him. He's in front of the Jewish leaders. You believe this guy's a son of God? You believe that guy's a son of? I don't know. Once I was blind, and now I see. That's all I know. <laughs> he didn't get saved. He got his eyeballs back. What I love about God, he'll do whatever you ask. What are you asking? Well, if you're asking nothing, you probably get nothing. And I have people, and they're stubborn in family. Well, I believe God when I see it. You'll never see it. Faith that works is dead. You gotta believe it first. You have to believe God for he shows up. God likes his stuff. He told the priest that go across the Jordan River and it was flood time. Man, the river's flooded. Y'all need to cross over. Well, you need to make the water stop. No, you need to put your foot on it. Well, you park the water and we'll put our foot on it. No, put your foot on it first, then I'll part it. You gotta lift up the staff or part the Red Sea. You don't lift up no staff, we don't part any water. You don't put your foot on I don't move. Faith without work, dead. And while we come to church, we're part of the body of Christ, what are you doing? We're trying to serve as many people as we can, volunteer as often as we can, love as many people as we can, hug as many necks. What are you doing? I'm sowing seed for my family. And I'm gonna be a blessing everywhere I go, especially my local church. So let's stand up. We live in the greatest time of human history. If you could have asked God, hey, son, when's I going to be born? Do I have a choice? Sure, just look down through time. You going to be born here in the Garden of Eden? No, that's going to go south. I don't, they're going to get fired, evicted. That, no, no, thank you. You like boats, don't you? Yeah, I like boats a lot. Yeah, big boat. How about here with Noah, big boat? No, that won't go good. No rudder, no motor, one year shoving all that stuff. No, thank you. No, no. Would you like to be born when my son comes there? Silent night holding out. We three kings. No, they're going to nail them on cross 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. No, thank you, Father. Well, son, you got to pick some time to be born. Well, if you don't mind, Father, would you let me be born in the last days when your spirit's poured out without measure? Our sons and daughters are going to prophesy in green dreams. I, I would like to be born then in the last days. Well, if people, if people don't go to church. Man, isn't it bad? It's bad, boy. The economy's bad and there's war and crime. Man, I'm having a really good time with hell. Shonda, <laughs> hickey mo. And also, if you don't know how to pray, pray in the Holy Ghost. He'll pray that God's perfect will for your life. I love being spirit-filled. You don't have to get your brain involved. Just let her rip. What's going to happen? Angels start flapping wings and God will start moving. God will watch over his word and perform it. We're living in the greatest time of human history. Whatever you're dealing with, you're the answer to. Financially, physically, you are the answer. You're not the problem. I'm here trying to find a problem to solve. I always like to think about Jesus being interviewed by CNN. What you got planned today, Jesus? Got a busy day planned today. I'm gonna put some eyeballs on a blind man's head. They're gonna write about that. I'm gonna go into town and raise a dead kid at a funeral. Gonna get excited about that, man. Then this afternoon, I'm going out on a hillside. I'm gonna create 5,000 Happy Meals. They're gonna write about that too. Whoa. I was born to storm the gates of hell. He said, Jesus said, I'm gonna build a church and my church is gonna storm the gates of hell. We're not hiding from hell, we're looking for hell. We are looking for somebody to help, somebody to nurture, an orphan to help, a hungry person to feed, a person in prison to visit. We are the salt and the light and we had the, we're alive in the greatest time. It's gonna be a shame to go to heaven. What was it like in the last day? Man, it was bad, man. Man, man, economy was bad. He's bad. Now, something can go to heaven. What was it like? Hot dog, man, hell was everywhere. 
We had job security, man. We had hunger to feed and sick people to lay hands on. Whoa, buddy. We live in the greatest time of human history. Let's go home with a testimony, not thumb sucking. I don't want to spend all my years in heaven, you know, with a chicken leg around my neck. So what's that around your neck? It's a chicken leg. What's that? It's my reward from all my years on planet Earth because I thumb sucked my way here. I have no match. I get to hold the door for somebody else's. We got it made, guys. Let's start acting like it. Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we pray today that the word of God goes in us deeply, that the spirit of God brings it to our remembrance, and then it bears 100-fold fruit in our lives this year. I declare that this is going to be a jubilee year for our families, for our businesses, for those of our household, Father. This is our year. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and we're going to say so. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.